All right, it's springtime, and you know what that means. It means summer is right around the corner, and you don't want to be spending these beautiful days inside cooking and chopping vegetables. No, you want to be outside enjoying fresh spring air, and you can eat stress-free this spring with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Because every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, it's dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in what? Two minutes. You choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including calorie smart, keto, protein plus, vegan, veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. I love Factor Meals. They're absolutely delicious. I don't have to worry about it. They're just in my fridge. Factor is your solution for fast, premium meals without the need for cooking. Head to factormeals.com slash queerthemusic50 and use code queerthemusic50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. I'm Jake Shears, and this is Queer the Music, the podcast from Mercury Studios celebrating the LGBTQ plus anthems that have soundtracked queer lives. One of the many reasons I wanted to be part of this series is because I get the chance to meet incredible artists and find out how they brought their iconic tracks to life. I was super excited to record this episode because I got to talk to a true genderqueer pioneer someone who exploded from the underground at the turn of the millennium and who's been pushing boundaries ever since and is also one of my heroes. Her blend of electro beats, rap, sex, and performance art has continued to captivate crowds and listeners to this day. But let's go back to the year 2000. Things were looking up for UK queers. The age of consent was equalized to 16 and the ban was lifted on lesbians and gay men serving in the armed forces. But stateside, things weren't so positive. California's voted through Prop 22, a law meaning California would not recognize same-sex marriages. And it was into that shifting atmosphere that cult musician and artist Peaches unleashed her punky Electro Clash album, The Teaches of Peaches, with its seminal hit, Fuck the Pain Away. Sucking on my titties like you wanted me, calling me all the time like Blondie. Check out my Chrissy behind, it's fine all of the time, like sex on the beaches. What else is in the teachers of peaches? Huh, what? Titties like you wanted me, calling me all the time. That Bondi, check out my Chrissy behind. It's fine all over the time. What else is in the teachers of peaches? Like sex on the beaches. I really enjoyed doing this interview as a massive fan of Peaches and an avid listener. I loved hearing from her about the actual process of making the song and how even though at the time she had very little equipment and experience, she used both to her advantage. It's always fascinating to think about how limitations can shape amazing art. Peaches, it's great to have you here. It's so good to see you. Welcome to Clear the Music. Hello. So it might be difficult for younger audiences to appreciate it, but back in 2000, hearing the kind of sex and body positivity that's in Fuck the Pain Away coming from a woman was shocking to a lot of people. I mean, I remember 
having the song on, I remember going home to my parents and my mom hearing it. And she was <laughs> truly clutching her pearls. Machismo hip hop was everywhere, but was it surprising to you how challenging and thrilling people found the song and you and what you're doing at the time? Yeah, it was definitely surprising. I mean, for me, I wanted to, you know, specifically make music that was not in a patriarchal male gaze with all the music that I grew up with, mostly like posturing rock because I was such a rock kid. What were some of those artists? Um, I mean, every single artist. I don't know. Like, who wasn't it? Like, you know, I feel like if you went back and really examined the 70s, it would all be canceled. The whole 70s would be canceled. We're canceling the 70s. You know, like just singing along with um, songs from like, big-legged woman ain't got no soul. What are you talking about? And why am I singing that? To like, squeeze my lemon till the juice runs down my leg. Although now I would sing that and I would really enjoy singing that. But don't say a word, my virgin child. Spread your wings and let me come inside. Like these were hit songs, you know, like just uh, like always women had no choice, no directive, no agency (laughs) or, you know, queer people in general. So it was just completely heteronormative scenarios or they weren't, but they were coded so yeah. that you could still be Freddie Mercury and have a career and people, you know, things like that. So it was always coded, which was confusing. But I was just like, I just want to say it straight out. Like my secret weapon is that I, I can sing. But I made a conscious choice with the Teachers of Peaches, my first album, and which includes, of course, Fuck the Pain Away, to not sing. I wanted to directly say what I wanted to say so people aren't like, oh, you know, be judged on like a female chanteuse or any sort of that way. It was just like, here we go. Yeah. I, and I, and I, I had in my mind someone like Chrissy Hine, because I feel like she kind of like talks things, you know, it's this like kind of, you listen to that or, you know, at that time. Um, yeah. And it was a very interesting time because there was no computers, you know, because I'm always like, yeah, I made it in my bed. I was just smoking weed and masturbating and making, you know, and, and, now it's like, yeah, who doesn't make their albums in their bedroom, you know, or in their bed with their computer? But there was no computer. I just had this machine, the MC505 Rolling Groove Box. Can you talk about what that machine looks like? What it was like when you first got it? Yeah. Um, well, I was like moving through punk bands and learning to love synthesizers because coming from my rock punk, I was like, synthesizers aren't cool all you need is a bass and guitar and drums you know so when all my friends who were making music with me moved away I was in a music shop in Toronto and I saw this machine on display so it was just like a rectangular machine it had a tiny keyboard I don't even know how many keys to be honest and then it had like a mixer in it so you would put each channel on each track mixer so it was like one through eight and number eight was rhythm so that would include like a hi-hat a percussion instrument a cymbal things like that and then you could pick the other sounds and I, I loved it because I was like oh I can be my own band you could program the basics yeah so. you can program them and that I never got past programming them as loops so I always like to just loop and that that was fun for me to write because I was used to you know, being very organic. So I wasn't like creating a song and then trying to 
sing over it. I would just make like 16 bar loops. But also I didn't know where the one was. So I was just trying to start the track and end it and get it done. And my first beats were in 120 BPM because I didn't understand that you could change the BPM. It was just automatically what it was set to yeah, in the first place. Yeah, so I would put on a metronome and then I was like, and a lot of my first sounds, because I really did want it to be direct in the way of punk. Like you only have the guitar sound, you only have the bass sound. So I was picking my sine tone as my you know basic sound yeah and then i was um learning how to filter i had one knob for filtering one knob for pitching one way of arpeggiating you press a button were you recording into a, a four track or an eight track recorder? no like i was recording into an adat okay i was using videotape but also i would record my voice i didn't use like pre-record it was like record play sing you know what I mean? yeah <laughs> You know, like I was just like trying things out. I'm really interested in going back to Teachers of Peaches. Yes. There's such an element of improvisation on yes. the songs. I've got to say, one of the first shows that I, I saw when I moved to New York was you at the Knitting Factory with Chili Gonzalez. Right, right. And it was a real moment for me because that's when <laughs> I was, I saw Chicks on Speed there really soon around there, you know, KC Spooner from Fisher Spooner. And it was at that time that I was looking at y'all. Mm-hmm. And knowing that I wanted to perform and just feeling like it was in a gorgeous way within my grasp, seeing queer people, it was just amazing to see everyone doing it and doing it themselves. And not trying to be perfect. Not trying to be perfect, letting the imperfection sit there. And I feel like going back to Teaches of Peaches, you can really hear you developing what Peaches is. Yeah. Can you just talk a little bit about the just the writing and yeah. the lyrics and what you were doing when you were improvising that stuff well I just want to mention that that was a really painful time for me I had just been through I I had uh, thyroid cancer and it didn't affect me physically just that I had a big bump and I had to get it removed and they weren't sure if it's cancer and they said maybe your voice will change um when the surgery and we won't know for sure it's cancer until the operation is done and I was in a very long-term relationship and after the surgery and I found out it was cancer, I was like, I need to live my life. Not that my partner wasn't amazing and they weren't, they were a great artist, but I was like, I need to be who I need to be. So I had to change my whole life in Toronto. So that time was very painful, but also really focused for me with those two things in mind. And I made sure during the Teachers of Peaches that time that I didn't mention those things because I didn't want any sort of like victimization or any of that. And I didn't want it in the music either. I'm like, listen, this is what I want to do with my life. So that's why also I'm like, I'm going to change lyrics and I'm going to change how I see music because I want it to be like... Um, the Stooges meets Riot Girl meets Little Kim and um, Kraftwerk. So I was like, these are my references. I'm going to make Kraftwerk punk. And I am going to use these repetitive notions that I love so dearly and that pump me up in both rap and in Stooges music. So where did you have all your gear set up? I had a tiny little rehearsal space 
bad drum kit, leftover keyboards when people left town and stuff like that. I wrote a lot still on guitar, like my one note guitar, you know, and then transfer it to the machine. So the machine would travel with me. It was always with me. But my recording was it just in my room. It was on a really bad, Jake, you would have been like, <laughs> it was on like a keyboard stand that could have fallen at any moment. And I had the ADAT on the keyboard stand and then a uh, Mackie 16 channel mixer on top of that. And then my machine just plugged in their stereo. And that was, and that was yeah, it. Yeah, like I'd never even used the Mackie like as anything but a stereo kind of to make oh its God. way through. And as you did mention, I did then mix it down, if you can say. Um, you know, everything on the machine was mixed because it was all in there. And then it would just be stereo out to a, a dat as the mix down. Okay. And that ended up being sort of what you had for the final album. Yeah. Steve Keeping was a drummer. So I went over to Steve's space and he played some drums over songs like Lover Tits and Rock Show and Sucker. What was the first memory that you have of wanting to perform? In my life? Yeah, just like that. What was the first desire that you had? Well, Jake, let me tell you. Here's where we go back to like Jewish girl in the suburbs in Toronto, um, listening to every song on the radio, not understanding that I could ever be a musician or what that meant, and just devouring every album, whatever was in our house, but also like the year. 1972. Like, I could tell you every popular song. I know every lyric. I even know what was number one on the pop chart. Like, I was obsessed, but for no reason. Nobody else was. I mean, it was just this weird thing. And um, we had a lot of family in New York, and my cousin had a bar mitzvah, Michael's Bar Mitzvah in New York. I was seven, and I watched the band, and I said to my mom, Mom, can I sing with the band? And she's like, can you sing? And I was like, yeah, I think I can. And she's like, well, go ask the band. So I asked the band. I remember <laughs> they were on their break and they're eating. And I sang them the way we were, Barbara Streisand. <laughs> Here I have like a seven-year-old singing about like divorce in the <laughs> 70s. But, you know, that was the song. So, And then I okay, yeah. So I, I uh, sang with the band. And then that meant that I had to sing that song at every occasion in New York. <laughs> Whoever got married, whoever was like bar mitzvahed, bat mitzvahed. Have you busted it out at a show in the last? In the I last have not. No? I have not. Can you talk about the first Peaches shows and what they were like? Where yes. were they? They were very strange because there was no electronic scene in Toronto. I remember being put on a singer-songwriter night. <laughs> and they put me on first because they didn't know what to do with me. And I played songs on my 505. A few people were excited. I remember finishing my set. People were confused. And I actually got written about in the local Now magazine, which was like the big cultural paper, by this writer who everybody wanted to be written by. And she just slammed me. She was like, after Peaches did her one-woman hair-raising throwdown, we got back to music. Wow. When I read that, I was like, I am onto something. What do you remember singing at, at that? I was singing early P Teachers of Peaches songs. Yeah. And I remember then uh, my friend Howie Beck invited me to open for him. I started my set off with a new song I'd never played before. 
I knew I wanted to say fuck the pain away. And I knew I had like the beat and everything, but I didn't know how I would play it out. So I just started the set with it. It's a very long beginning I had and um, did the whole song. And then after I sang the first verse, I heard one person in the audience go, woo! And I was like, oh my God, someone's getting it. Like it was really exciting. And I did the whole set. And after I did the set, Marlon, who was the sound person at the Rivoli, which was where, you know, I played for 10 people. She's like, hey, I made a cassette of your set. You know, if you give me $5, you can have it. And I was like, oh yeah, that's amazing. So I listened to Fuck the Pain Away. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to put that on a demo. So I put that on a demo and played it for people. And they were like, this is great. Nobody was like, um, there's too much noise. The vocals are too loud. There was no, I played for producers. I played for friends. <laughs> Everybody was just like, this is awesome. And so I'm like, this is awesome. I'm never recording this song. This is what I'm putting on the album. The one that you hear, the one that's in, lost in translation in the movie, the one that's wherever you hear it, that is that version. The first time I've ever played it on a cassette tape. It was 1999, July something. I still have the cassette tape. As someone who makes music as well, I mean, it's just so serendipitous and so, <laughs> so beautiful crazy. and so weird. And yeah. sometimes real magic just comes out all in one moment. And you also have to be ready for it because I could have been like oh yeah this is good but I bet I could get it better you know and I probably would have like screwed it up yeah I mean when scissors comfortably numb just I mean I listened to it and it sounds like shit it's but awesome. we never touched it again you yeah. know what I mean one of the loops in there is not totally in time <laughs> so if you really listen to the song it sounds like it's speeding up and slowing down right, right. the whole time yeah <laughs> what would you say that fuck the pain away is about it literally wrote itself, to be honest. It was actually, Fuck the Pain Away is about, you know, having sexual freedom after, you know, just like, I'm going to like let it all out. I was 30 and I was like, I am having the peak of my sexuality. I was feeling it. So I was like, I'm going to sing about that. And I would play with like, oh, I feel bad for guys because they're sexual peak is 18 you know there was like these you know tropes of like all that kind of stuff and then sucking on my titties like you wanted me I wanted everybody to sing along with saying the word titties because there was never any sort of reference to female body parts that was like forward here I am like it was more like suck my dick you know all the time and it worked out for me like love to see every kind of person say sucking on my titties because we all have titties and but like you wanted me I literally got that thinking about my favorite singer so it was like Pat Benatar you're a real tough cookie with a long history of breaking little hearts like the one in me I thought it was like you wanted me but that's another story sucking on my titties like you wanted me call me all the time like blondie call me Right. Mm. Check out my Chrissy behind. It's just like Chrissy Hine. I just thought she's going It's fine all of the time. What else is in the teachers of peaches? It rhymed. Isn't it amazing? You know, that's what we do. We pull yeah. stuff from our memories and, our, and, yeah. and the things that we've loved and the things that we've latched onto in our lives and from our childhood. And it goes right back into your music. And I, you know, I had no concept of like Detroit House, which is so close to that kind of style or you know, specifically 
DJ Assault, who like, I was like, whoa, it sounds like we're like making the same music, you know? Any, like I knew Kraftwerk and I knew Lil Kim, <laughs> you know, but people yeah. would be like, oh, this is so ESG, like lover tits, wow, you know, like I would get calls from, you know, Justine Frischman from Elastica, is like, oh my God, ESG, lover tits, it's my jam, you know, things like that. And I'd Amazing. be like, oh, who's ESG? I better find out. I had these kindred spirits that I didn't even know about, which was so incredible, like ESG, suicide, and Vanity Six. So I, I feel like those were the three sort of ghosts entering yeah. my music. Why didn't you decide to shoot a video for Fuck the Pain Away? Um, I don't know, which is funny because I did shoot a lot. I did all Super 8 videos for that album. But it's funny because there was a, a girl at film school in Florida and she took The Muppets with Miss Piggy and made a brilliant video. And um, I was like, okay, well... That's the video, then I'm going to use that. It's amazing. I love that. That, that yeah. happens. I love the Miss Peggy video. Yeah, it's perfect. When you're performing and when you started performing with this record, what were you feeling like on stage? How was it developing? What was going on in your mind while the show started to grow? I was wearing like a pair of, of tight pants, like kind of referencing like Motley Crue or Sticky Fingers, you know, and I'd always undo my zipper. I thought it was so cool. Undo my zipper and I wore like, like a tight tank top, you know, and I thought, yeah, this is, you know, I'm a little controversial. And then I started moving outside the machine, realizing like I can keep that loop going and I can be performative because I love to be performative and that's when people started to get confused because they're like wait what's playing is, is she really playing is something playing and then I was like this is fun people are confused and then also they're getting into my performance but they're also wondering what's going on or if this is really music and then I started to play with that and then people started going oh she's so aggressive you know and I was like I need to get an outfit that's the opposite of aggressive. So I got this like bathing suit bottom that I definitely had a camel toe and I knew I did. And you could see my pubic hair sticking out. And I got this bad top that went with it and some like feather earrings. And little did I know I was like embodying Electro Clash in 1999, you know. So I would wear that as like, people think I'm aggressive. Well, I'm wearing pink. What do you want? And then people would start to point at my uh, pubic hair. And then they started taking pictures of my crotch. And the first website I had was a crotch gallery of all the pictures. I would have people send in the pictures of my crotch that they took, which to me was the point because I was uh, like thinking about maybe it's the first Motley Crue album where they have that really, I don't know what it is with the balls, you know, it's just really tight and sticky fingers. So I was yeah. like, yay, I have done that reversal that I wanted to do in that machismo kind of way with a camel toe straight up. And that picture that ends up being the picture on the Pe Teaches Peaches album is just from a show. It's it uh, my friend Tyler who took that photo. How do you feel about this song now? I love it. I mean, I wish I heard it. And, you know, people are always like, I heard this song. I was like here or there. And then I went, what is that? You know, it was kind of like when I heard M.I.A. And I was like, what is that? How do you feel when you sing it live now? Nothing goes on in my mind. It's just like party time. Yeah. <laughs> it's always, listen, I am not like, I'm not going to play that song. It's always the last song, whether there's like 10 songs after it as an encore, because I like to go on and on and on. But it's always like the thank you very much, good night song. Yeah. And um, it's just so joyful. It's so joyous that to see 
how it connects with the audience and you know some people are just there for that song and I love it because they're getting a show and they're gonna like go like whoa I came for this but I saw this and this is great I think so. you gotta respect those songs you know those things that have that initially connected with people I think it's sort of our bread and butter in certain ways and we wouldn't be there without them you know and yeah. I think it's important to to still try and, and love them. And I, I think about that myself. I love it. And I can't believe that it still has its relevance. It was like 23 years old and people are still discovering it. And it's funny because when I was writing the early Teachers of Peaches, I was like, I want people to like what I do the way I like the cramps. Or actually... The cramps and the violent femmes to me. There was mm. like, you know, that, why can't I get just one screw? You know, that yeah. song. I remember hearing that and it was that like time in your life where you're like, I'm going to be free. I'm going to be myself. Yay. You know, that's what I wanted my music to be. And Fuck the Pain Away has become that quintessential song that when people are breaking through and they're like, I'm me. Yeah. That's my jam. The influence of Fuck the Pain Away has been just so massive on on pop music. And apparently Christina Aguilera had it on a loop when she was recording Dirty. Britney was super into it when she was doing I'm a Slave for You. And Kesha especially is really impossible to ignore. Uh, I've never heard any reports of the Kesha, though. But just listening Uh, to her records, it's just that you're so obviously like an amazing influence, even in kind of her tone of voice sometimes. Mm -hmm. Did you, in your your wildest fantasies when you were starting this stuff out, did you you imagine the kind of impact that your music would have on the popular culture? Of course not. No. No. I'm definitely not. Did I even think I would be like playing out of Toronto? No. Did I think I would visit Europe like it's just like (laughs) yeah yeah and then I started saying things like I want the mainstream to come closer to me I'm not going to go closer to the mainstream in terms of like not watering down my music and then I feel like that happened too the unleashing of incredible artists and and what they're doing dangerous times for queer people yeah but also very creative times and then you have Kim Petras doing the Slut Pop album, you know? That's a moment. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa. Yes. You know? People need it. Yeah. People need it yeah. and they want it and it's mm. important. You said it was it was written in more binary times and you were trying yeah. to find a new language which which broke out of that. Can mm. you elaborate on that a little bit? I talked about like a spectrum and fluidity, but I didn't have the words for it. Before anybody yeah. else was, I was just like, talking about it. You know, there's a percentage of a man and a woman in, in all of us, you know? I'm like, even in you and you. And I would talk about like men as not being afraid to show their sensitive sides, you know? I, I tried not to focus on like male toxicity. I was more like, let's, you know find the right places to make it all work together. Um, Yeah, and for me, it was just about being direct and saying what I wanted to say. And I learned so much about people because everybody had such a different point of view of who I was or how angry I was on the scale or how funny I was. There was so many, is Peaches really a man? You know, she's just so ugly I found out I was ugly you know I found out all these things I'm not ugly I don't think I'm ugly but I'm just saying um 
I was like, wow, people were so confused also musically, like such purists, you know, like you're either into this music or that music. And what was the media response at the time as well? The media response was there was no media response. There was um, response direct to artist, like really different artists, Madonna or the Beastie Boys or Little Kim or you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like they all knew that song and but there was no radio play, there was no internet, there was no video on TV. I'm sure that like labels are kicking themselves that they never like they're like, oh, we could have done that, but they yeah. never did. And what gets your creativity flowing these days? I mean, I think what's always got my creativity flowing is um, the patriarch. <laughs> but also just like things that are so absurd that that shouldn't be part of the standard of our world. And so when I say what I say, it to me doesn't seem absurd because that's more absurd and especially in our times now you know with um all of it under fire yeah from you know bodily autonomy in so many aspects i feel like more so than any other time in my lifetime yeah i think it's just like the patriarchy like hang from their last vein and it's like ripping and they're just like trying to take duct tape it up and like no we can do it we can do it yeah what it seems like it's just sad people need to be who they want to be it's not like um people want to be they need to be who they want to be and also i mean we can get into a whole political thing about it of course but there's, there's just like no systematic structure for letting people be who they need to be and so that scares people who have the power and who um are holding on to it and um even if they need to be who they need to be that's why you get politicians you know they have their family values but there's no way they can keep on with it they can't keep their shit together (laughs) yeah and then it just morphs now you have turfs Mm. you know like it's just like morphing in really weird ways and I wonder sometimes, are all these people people that have never had art as an outlet? You know what I mean? I think I think that's one of the reasons why Actually, art is so important. Yeah, but maybe they see art as a different thing. Yeah. Know? Because I'm sure there are artists, there's a lot of artists who are, are not open to even themselves being who they need to be. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for being who you are. Um, it's just been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thank you. I feel this is the longest conversation we've ever had. <laughs> And I've just, I admire (laughs) you so much. And yeah, you mean the world to me. Oh, it's great that, you know, we came up together, that there was like a group of us that just felt like, yeah. Yeah, and I feel, I just feel with you, there's a camaraderie of we both love doing what we do. And nothing's going to stop us. No. (laughs) You know? Many thanks to the Divine Peaches. I'll be back soon with another peek behind the velvet drapes at the songs that have shaped LGBTQ plus lives next time. I had been advised by a media trainer person to not come out. She goes, how do you feel about your sexuality? Talking about your sexuality. And obviously I didn't really know what I was going to do, but I thought, well, probably better to be honest about it. Her response was, well, why should you have to come out? You know, like, why does anyone need to know about that? And you might want to think about protecting yourself in the future and stuff. That was Years and Years frontman Ali Alexander, my guest on the next episode. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, there's plenty more where this came from, like Erasure's Andy Bell or Rebecca Lucy Taylor, a.k.a. Self-Esteem. And I'd love to know what you think of the series so far. Please leave me a review and tell me who your ultimate guest would be. But now, it's that time when I ask you to turn the volume up. You know what's coming. Here we go, loud, proud, and in full. This is Peaches with Fuck the Pain Away. Behind it's fine all of the time Like sex on the beaches What else is in the teachers of peaches? Huh, what? Sucking on my titties like you wanted me Calling me all the time That Bondi check out my Chrissy Behind it's fine all of the time What else is in the teachers of peaches? Like sex on the beaches Uh, what? Huh? Right? What? Uh, huh? What? Right? Fade away, fuck the fade away, 
Fuck the pain away. 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 Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.